Last week, Ben kicked off a series on expectations. He challenged us to align ourselves with Logos, with the Logos, with truth of God's word, and to understand the significance of Christ. And as we pursue resolutions, as we pursue expectations, the importance of that being a true north in our life. And the truth is, when we become Christians, when we become Christ's followers, we are given that true north. And we have expectations on how we are to live and conduct our lives. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. We know verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Read in James that we're not just to be doers or hearers of the word, but to be doers. And we read in Galatians too that we no longer live. It's Christ that lives in us. And so Christ compels us to live our life in a certain way. Dare I say that God has expectations for us on how we are to live and conduct our lives. I became a Christian at the age of 19. You guys have heard most of my story out of substance abuse and addiction. My local home church that I was a part of, good old First Baptist Church in Harrah, Oklahoma, I'm thankful for that church and what it meant to me in those years. In the fall of 1998, began to promote a men's discipleship opportunity to participate in this discipleship material called Master Life. It was gonna be kicked off in the new year, so January of 1999. And I was excited about it because I was sensing in my life a desire to grow and go deeper in my faith, and I wanted that. I wanted to learn more about God's word. I wanted to learn how to apply it to my life. I wanted to be sharpened by other men. I wanted to be encouraged and challenged by other men. So I signed up for that class. And I remember the very first night, it was a Wednesday night, about 40 or 50 men gathered in this room from my hometown. Most of them I had known from being early uh, a young man or a young boy and had seen them in the community even though I wasn't really in church. I knew who they were. I knew they were men of God. I mean, I was excited. I was 19 years old. So that first week was an introduction. We were given our materials, a book that we had that we were encouraged to read that week. Come back next week. All of you men, come back next week and we're going to hold each other accountable and study God's word and talk about what God has shown us through this study we're going to be doing together. So I came back the next week, book and Bible in hand. I was the youngest guy in the room by probably a good 20 years. And so the pastor stands up, men, thank you for coming. Quick question, how many of you, each of the last seven days, read your materials, did your homework, how many of you came prepared and my hand went up? And I was so excited, I was proud. Present. I was the only one raising my hand. He began to ask more, six days, five, the next person to raise their hand was on day four. And I was shocked and I was disappointed. I thought, my goodness, these, some of these men I've looked up to and I know they're godly men, why aren't they doing their homework? And as the weeks went on and as I watched these good, 
godly men struggle in that discipleship class. And as I myself, in all confession, began to struggle to keep up, realized that in the pursuit of the expectations that God has for us, and dare I say, the expectations that we have for ourselves as Christ's followers, there is something that is essential in that pursuit. And that's what that discipleship class taught me. That as we pursue what God has for us, as we pursue what God has called us to, there is something that is essential. And that's the conversation I want us to have today. Because truth is, we're in a new year, it's 2023. Most of us in this room, if they're not stated or written down, have been thinking about resolutions and expectations that we have for ourselves in this new year. And as we pursue those things, and hopefully some of those things are spiritual, I know that they're not all spiritual, and that's wonderful, that's great. In some ways, they really are a different message, but as we pursue these spiritual things, there really is something that we have to have that is essential in our pursuit. And I want us to walk around in the life of Peter and look at something that Peter learned just like I had learned at the age of 19 in that class. There's no, there's no debate. Peter is, is the most bold and courageous of all the disciples. It's clear in Scripture. You read uh, in all of the Gospels as you unpack his life, Peter was bold and Peter was courageous. He was the first in Matthew 16, 16, he's the first to confess Jesus as the son of the living God. He was oftentimes the first to, to act out, to stand up, to speak out. And so Peter, no, no doubt, had high expectations for himself, high expectations as to how he wanted to live his life as a Christ follower. I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Now we were just, as we took communion, we were just in verse 26. And I mentioned to you, this is hours before Jesus is going to be arrested, uh, a short time before he would eventually be crucified. And so Jesus has his disciples together in the upper room. I want you to listen to what he says to them most notably, I want you to follow along with me and look at the life of Peter. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 26, it tells us this. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter almost cuts him off. Peter replied to him and says, even if they all fall away, even if all these other guys fall away because of you, I will never, I will never, I will never fall away. But Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, Peter, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. In this text, it's clear Peter had a bold expectation for himself. It's especially bold because Jesus had just communicated to the whole room, hey, all of you are going to deny me. 
And Peter says, no, Lord, no, it'll never happen. But I want you to notice something important. I want you to notice the setting of Matthew 26. Notice the setting. Community, right? They're all together. They just had communion. You read uh, chapter 26, it says they had just finished singing a hymn together. There's worship. And then Jesus takes them out on top of the Mount of Olives. Quite literally, this is a mountaintop moment in the life of the disciples. And it's easy to make confessions and proclamations and create expectations for ourselves in those types of settings. It is. We're, we're motivated, we're excited, we're fired up. It's like, no, 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 I will never deny you Jesus. For 23 years, I got the privilege to be a student pastor. And I've seen a lot of teenagers in mountaintop moments make statements and proclamations and expectations just like that where they say, hey, man, this week has been incredible. The worship has been incredible. Being together in a condo this week with my friends and reading God's words has been life-changing. When I get home, when I get home, I'm never going to blank again. When I get home, I'm gonna start doing blank every day. I'm gonna be different. Can I say to you one thing? There is nothing wrong with mountaintop moments. There's not. They are oftentimes the very thing that God has designed and desires to move us on and move us along in our pursuit of him. I was changed, radically changed by summer camp. That's where I gave my life to Christ. God uses moments like this and there's nothing wrong with them. And a lot of us in this room coming into this new year, we're maybe walking out of a really good time of rest and a really good time of reflection and we feel close to God and we feel like this is the year and we, we've made some of these types of statements about expectations we have for ourselves in this new year. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But as we pursue what God has called us to, there's something essential that we need. Let's pick back up with Peter. Look with me. Same chapter, Matthew 26. Now we're just a few hours later. We fast forward just a few hours later. Jesus has been arrested. The disciples have started to scatter, just like he said. Let's see what our guy Peter's up to. Verse 69 of Matthew 26. Look at it with me. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a slave woman came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. Verse 71, when he had gone out to the gateway, another slave woman saw him and said to those who were there, this is the man that was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know that man. Verse 73, a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, you really are one of them as well since even the way you talk gives you away. And he began to curse and he began to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the statement that Jesus had made when Jesus said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept. He went out and he wept bitterly. 
Peter fails his expectation. Just exactly like Jesus had said, he denies Christ three times. But I want you to notice the setting. Notice the setting. Isolated, scared, worried, maybe a little afraid. Quick side note. As we pursue what God has called us to, as we pursue these expectations he's put into our heart and put into our life, we need each other. We need each other. God gave us each other. He established the church so that we could grow inside of it, so that we can be encouraged, so that we can, as Hebrews 10 says, be spurred on towards love and good deeds. As we pursue what God has called us to, we need to stay together in community. And community is a powerful thing in our life. But let's pick back up with Peter. Here's the truth. There's no doubt. There is no doubt that Peter loved Jesus. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that Peter wanted to honor God and to live for him. And I'm so glad that Scripture records moments like this and gives us transparent moments to look into the life of people and, and specifically here to see Peter's life. I'm glad that it's in there. And I'm glad it's in there because what happened to Peter is eventually going to happen to every one of us and has happened to every one of us in this room. We are going to fail the expectations we have for ourselves. We are. We're going to fall short we're not going to be the person that we want to be in 2023. We're going to miss those things. We're not, we're not going to be the father we want to be always. We're not always going to be the husband we want to be always. We're not always going to be the mother or the wife we always want to be, the son, the daughter, the worker, the friend. We are going to fall short of these things that God is calling us to in our life. But there's something essential that Peter had to learn. But a quick question for you. What have you failed at? What have you failed at? And more importantly, what have you done with that failure? What have you failed at and what have you done with the failure? How we handle failure is incredibly important. Look, look back. Let's, let's pick back up in Peter's life. Flip over now to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. What would Peter do after he denied Christ three times? After he wept bitterly, as the Scripture says. Let's pick back up in the life of Peter. Look at John, chapter 21, verse 3. It says this, Peter talking. I'm going to go out and go fishing I'm going to go fish, Peter told them, telling the disciples. And they said, all of them said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You know what the significance of that text is? There's a lot of great things that are going on there, but something real simple and practical. Where did Jesus find Peter? Where did Jesus call Peter? Look at Matthew chapter 4. We don't have to go there, but that's where it is, Matthew chapter 4. Where did he find him? He found Peter initially on the shoreline by the boats 
with the nets in his hand. And Matthew 4 tells us, he said what? Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that, ver and that text tells us, it says, at once, and I love that phrase, at once, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. That's where Jesus initially had found Peter. And so in John 21, when we find Peter back at the boats, back with the nets, picking up his old occupation, we have to know that in so many ways, Peter is probably questioning, I don't know if God has anything for me. Maybe I have completely missed my opportunity to be a part of this great adventure that Jesus has. Maybe this public denial that I have put out has disqualified me. I want you to look at an illustration on the screen. It's real simple. Really, really simple way that we're called to handle failure. It says this, failure. Failure is natural and normal. All of us in this room are gonna fail. That produces in our life disappointment. And disappointment creates a choice. Disappointment creates a choice for us. Either we can drop to our knees and in a very transparent and honest moment, confess our sins to God, repent of our sins, and allow restoration to come where God puts us back in position and place and restores us, reinstates us, or we can allow disappointment to create guilt and shame in our life, which is a whole set of burdens and weights that we're not designed to carry. And that guilt and shame oftentimes sends us back into the very thing that God has called us out of. And a lot of us in this room could preach a whole sermon on that. How are you handling the failure in your life? As you pursue the things that God has called you to, what are you doing with your mistakes? Failure is normal and natural, but it has a design. It's designed to send us to our knees and make us more dependent on God as we pursue what he's called us to. Peter's failure began to pull him back. My favorite part of that verse three though, it tells us almost like this little afterthought. It says, hey, by the way, they caught nothing. They didn't catch anything. It's almost like this little simple reminder when we go back to the things that God has called us out of and called us from, there's emptiness there. Those things no longer satisfy. Peter was learning this. Look at John chapter 21, verse 15. Jesus is not done with Peter. He's not done with Peter. Je Jesus pursues him, comes to the disciples. He appears. John 21 is a beautiful picture of God pursuing us. But in verse 15, he sets down, builds a little fire, has breakfast with the disciples, and then enters into a conversation with Peter. And listen to what Jesus communicates to him. Verse 15 of John 21. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Then Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him for a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said to him for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. He was hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter's expectation for himself needed to be redeemed by grace. There's lots of great things in this conversation. There's obviously the, the very clear parallel to asking the question three times and Peter's denial three times. There's some really great pictures of things in here, the, 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 the charcoal fire, the word these. There's lots of, we could do, spend a whole time together unpacking just this conversation, but I wanna jump past that and get right to the point of what's going on. Here's the simple point. Jesus is not done with Peter. Jesus wanted Peter to know that his failure had not disqualified him. And around the fire, on the beach, in that moment, Peter learned what I learned in that discipleship class at the age of 19. Great grace. Great expectations, rather. Great expectations require great grace. Great expectations require great grace. In other words, grace is the gas that gets us down the road as we pursue what God has called us to. A question for all of us today. How are you spending that grace? How are you spending that grace? I was invited to go on a road trip in December of 2000. A couple of my friends invited me to go on a road trip. We're gonna drive from Oklahoma City to New York City in a Jeep Grand Cherokee Five people. I was like, absolutely, count me in. That sounds terrific. No money really to speak of. And Christmas rolled around that year. And we were set to leave out traveling to Manhattan on the 27th of December. That time of my life, my father had gone back into the hospital and it was a really difficult time for our family. All of our cars had been repossessed except for my 1997 Volkswagen Jetta. Paid $227 a month for that thing. It was the only car left that our family got to use, seven people in my family. Times were difficult. My father was the only one that worked. My mom never was employed, she stayed at home and raised five kids. And we didn't have a dollar to our name. And I went to the hospital 
on the 27th of December to say goodbye to my father as I was leaving for this road trip to New York City. So I go there and he's in the hospital bed and he would eventually pass away two months later. And I went to his bedside and I told him that I loved him. And uh, I told him I'd see him soon. We we're gonna be gone for about 10 days. And I said, Dad, I'll be, I'll be home soon and I'll be right back here in the hospital to see you. And my father pulled me to his bedside. And I gave him, as I, as I was giving him a hug, he grabbed my hand and he put a $100 bill in it. And we didn't have $100. No one has ever spent $100 more carefully, more frugally than I did on that trip. How are you spending the grace that you've been given? You know what I love about what Jesus does with Peter in John 21? There's two things in that conversation. He reinstates his relationship with him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. He reinstates his relationship. And then he reinstates his mission. Then feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Can I help you understand something? The grace that God gives us, it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's not meant to just restore our relationship with him, although that's a part of it. It's a beautiful part of it. That's the first part. It's also meant to put us back on our feet and send us on as we live out what he's called us to. So in other words, when God redeems you and restores you and reinstates you, you don't just get to stand flat-footed the rest of your life and say, I'm whole. No, 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 no. You get to spend the rest of your days Spending that grace carefully and frugally. What are you doing with the grace that God has given you? As you launch out in 2023, as you pursue the things he's called you to, as you seek out the expectations that he's given for you for yourself, understand this one thing. You are going to need his supernatural grace along the way.